The reading tonight is from John 20, beginning at verse 1. And it happens to be on the screen, which is very helpful. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Going on to verse 19, same chapter. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. The second Bible reading tonight comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting at verse 1, and can be found on page 1139 of the Visitor's Bibles. Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you were saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than five hundred of the brothers at the same time, most of whom were still living though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all he appeared to me also, as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles, and do not even deserve to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether, then, it was I or they, this is what we preach and this is what you believed. Everyone has a gospel, has a message that they think is of first priority that they want others to know. In the first century, if you were a general, a leader, and you'd won a great battle, a great victory, you would send your messenger ahead of you to proclaim your victory. That was the good news. That was the gospel. Today, everyone has something they see as of first importance that they live by and that they preach. Bunnings has a gospel, don't they? You immediately know what it is. Lowest prices are just the beginning. In other words, we'll make our prices low to begin with, and when we've wiped out all the competition, we'll lift them. 
because lowest prices are just the beginning. When Apple brought out their iPhone for the first time and they had a gospel, this changes everything. And when they brought out iPhone 2, they spent hours and hours working out what to call, what to say, what the gospel would be. This changes everything again. And we bought it, didn't we? I meet many parents who've got a gospel. Their gospel, their message of first importance, is clearly their children's achievements. For in the two minutes that I get to spend talking to them, they have told me three or four things that their children have done recently, awards they've won, positions that they've been appointed to, for that is their gospel. For clearly their children's achievements are their achievements. Everyone has a gospel, and Paul certainly has a gospel, and he makes that very clear and explicit here. He had received a gospel, he preached a gospel, and the Corinthians had received it from Paul and taken their stand upon this gospel. And so this Easter Sunday we need to see tonight, what is this gospel and what is so good about it? And if we can see that, we'll be able to receive the gospel, stand firm on it, and be overjoyed. Let's have a look at it here in uh, chapter 15, verse 1. Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you've taken your stand. By this gospel you're saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. Paul preached it, they received it, they took their stand, and now he needs them to hold firmly. What is this gospel, though? Verse 3. For I received, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ. The gospel is about Christ. A few weeks ago now, I was talking to one of the teachers at one of our local schools. We were talking about scripture in schools and how the different religions have different scripture classes. He said that's okay because really they're all teaching values, aren't they? Teaching our children how to live well in the world. And we as a school are teaching that too. I said, yeah, we do teach values, but actually what we're teaching is Jesus. For that's our gospel, isn't it? The gospel is not values. It's not even God. Did you see that? It is Christ. That is Jesus, the promised king, who has come to rule the world. That Christ, what? What does the gospel say about this Christ? Well, as you'd expect, Paul starts at the beginning. The gospel starts at the beginning with Christ and he starts with the biggest festival we have, Christmas. Can you see it there in verse 3? That Christ was born in Bethlehem and there were shepherds around. No, it doesn't say that, does it? Paul skips Christmas. Can you believe that? Who in their right mind would skip Christmas? Least of all, a Christian preacher. 
But Paul does, because it is not central in his reminding them of the gospel. That surprises us, doesn't it? He skips Jesus' birth. What else does he skip? He skips his life and his teaching. No, love God and love your neighbour, that's not the gospel. No, do unto others as you'd have them do unto you, that's not the gospel. He goes for something very particular right at the end, that Christ died. Wouldn't it be strange if you picked up a biography of Princess Diana and it began with a restaurant in Paris and a Mercedes-Benz speeding away to get away from photographers. Her death. You might be okay with that because you know it's a way to get your attention, the tragedy of it all, and then we'll start with her birth in the next chapter. But that's not what Paul does, is it? He skips and go straight to Jesus' death. It is that central, and that is why he came. The gospel, that Christ died, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried. Now, he skips Christmas. He skips his life and his teaching, but he includes his burial. Isn't that odd? Clearly he's not left on the cross and he wasn't cremated because they didn't do that in those days. Of course he was buried. Why does he say this? Well, have you ever been at a burial? Have you seen the coffin go down into the grave? I've seen it more often than you. And every time it hits me, this person is really dead. They are really dead going down, and they are not coming up. Jesus Christ died. He was buried. His body was taken down, it was wrapped in cloths, it was laid in the tomb, and they rolled the stone across. The gospel is that Christ died, he was buried, that is, he was really dead. And the extraordinary thing is, says Paul, He was raised. It's a great story in John 20, isn't it? On the third day, Mary Magdalene goes to the tomb. We read it tonight. And the stone has been rolled away. The body is gone. So she runs back to Peter and John. They've taken the Lord away. Peter and John run and Peter sees the linen wrapped folded inside the tomb and though he still doesn't understand that the Christ had to die and rise from the dead he believes because he sees then Mary sees and thinks he's the gardener and then he appears to the disciples it's a great story and what does Paul do just the facts ma'am Christ died he was buried and he was raised on the third day The grave is empty, he is risen. It was on the third day, a real day in history, he says. And as if to underline that, he actually starts to give some details, doesn't he? Verse 5. He appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. You read about that in the Gospels. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. 
Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. What's the point of all these details? The sheer number of appearances tells you it happened. And the sheer number at the same time tells you it happens. How would you get over 500 people to hallucinate the same thing and remember it at the same time? You can't. It's certain, says Paul. Ah, you say. But they were all believers, these people who saw Jesus alive, Peter and the Twelve and the brothers. Well, they did follow Jesus, that's true. But they weren't believers. They weren't expecting him to be alive again. They saw him buried. And some weren't followers of Jesus. James here is probably Jesus' brother, and he thought Jesus was out of his mind until this point. Paul says that he was like one abnormally born. The word means grotesque or, or freak. Why? He explains, verse 9. I do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Did he expect Jesus to be alive again? No way. Jesus was raised. He appeared to his disillusioned followers who didn't expect him and he appeared to his enemies. The grave is empty. He is risen. Someone said once that the first century has a resurrection-shaped hole in it. And how else are you going to fill that hole? How else will you explain it? The gospel has three facts. Christ died. Christ was buried. Christ was raised. And Paul says it is certain. Are you certain about the resurrection? Can you think of a better explanation? Well, there are the facts of the gospel. But Paul says not just the facts, but their significance. You see it clearly there in verse 3. I skipped over it, didn't I? What I received I pass on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Clearly Christ died because of sin, didn't he? The Jewish leaders were jealous Pilate wanted to protect his power and condemned an innocent man. He died because of their sins, but that's not what Paul means. He died for sins, in the place of sins. According to the gospel, our biggest problem is not social problems or our need for personal improvement. According to the scriptures, our biggest problem is between us and God. According to the scriptures, Christ died for sins. Just as in the Old Testament sacrifices, just as God promised in Isaiah 53, the gospel is that Christ died for sins according to the Scriptures. And according to the Scriptures, the Son of David, the Christ, would rule forever, 2 Samuel 7. And so God wouldn't let his Holy One see decay, Psalm 16. And so the gospel according to the Scriptures is that Christ would be raised on the third day. More than that even, not just he was raised. Literally, it says, he has been raised. 
If you were lucky enough to actually learn some grammar at school, which I used to think that I did because I knew what a noun was and a verb was, if you know that there are verb tenses, not just past and present, but there's a perfect tense, that's what it is. He has been raised in the past, but with ongoing significance. He has been raised and is not dead now. He's alive and is now ruling the world and will one day return. What I received, said Paul, I passed on as of first importance, that Christ died for sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he has been raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. This is Paul's gospel. Where did he get this gospel from? Did Paul make it up? No, he says he received it, doesn't he, in verse 3. Who did he receive it from? Was it that the Jews understood this from the Scriptures? No, none of them had a clue. Was it that the apostles worked this out? No, they didn't. Paul received this gospel because Jesus gave this gospel. Do you remember what Jesus said when Peter said, You are the Christ? Immediately, he said, the Christ must suffer and be raised from the dead. This is Paul's gospel because it is Jesus' gospel. So the question to you and I is, is it our gospel? Are we certain that he died and was buried and rose again? But not just the facts, its significance that it was according to the Scriptures, that it was for sins, that he has been raised. Is this your gospel or are you passionate about something else? Is something else central to your life? Is this what you hold dear, have taken your stand upon and want to bring to others? Well, not just what is the gospel, why is it so good? If the gospel means good news, a proclamation of good news, then it must be good, this news. What is good about it? The tomb is empty, he is risen, but why is that so good? Well, the passage is mainly about what is the gospel, isn't it? The facts and significance, but scattered through it, you pick up why it is so good. You pick up that the grace of God brings us forgiveness, changes us, and means we will fall asleep. Pick it up in verse 8. And last of all, he appeared to me also, as to one abnormally born. For I'm the least of the apostles, and do not even deserve to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Many people have a past, don't they? You have a past. And we like to hide our past. There are things we'd sooner forget. Paul had a past, didn't he? He hated Jesus and so persecuted Christians. But he doesn't forget and he doesn't try to hide it. He brings it up with people. 
and then expects them to treat him as an apostle. How can he do that? How can he be so clear and upfront about what he was and be sure that's okay because he knows the grace of God? God's undeserved favour towards him, his generosity. He knows that Christ died for sins, for my sins, for all my sins. And he knows that he has been raised. There's incredible forgiveness because of the gospel of Christ. Not only that, Paul was changed, wasn't he, because of the grace of God. He went from being a persecutor to being a preacher. He worked hard, he said, to become what he is. But it was not his hard work, actually. God's grace was not without effect. God changed him through the gospel. The gospel that Christ died for sins and has been raised brings incredible forgiveness and incredible change but not just now. Not as forgiveness and change. It brings the future. Have a look at verse 6. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. The point of the verse is clear, isn't it? There was an occasion when 500 people saw Jesus alive and most of them are still alive at the time Paul was writing this, so you could go and ask them. You could be sure that it was true by checking it out with them, though, Paul admits, some have fallen asleep. Does he mean, do you think, that they're asleep at that time, they're in a different place, time zone, or there was a long sermon that day? No. We know what he means, don't we? They've died. But it is not just a euphemism like we do about death. They've passed on. They've taken the journey across the lake. No, Christians are able to say someone has died. It's in this very passage. They say the person they value most died. Christ died. We can use the word. But the New Testament doesn't use the word to describe what happens for Christians. He doesn't say they have died. He says they have fallen asleep. Why? Because they are still alive. Still alive in Christ. And they will be resurrected. A few weeks ago, a friend of mine who is dying dying of cancer, said, I just want to fall asleep and for it all to be over. But there's something better than that even, isn't there? Christians, however they die, fall asleep and are still alive in Christ and will be resurrected. So my friend Bronwyn, who died of cancer, who I've mentioned before, did not die on Easter Sunday. She fell asleep. And one day her grave will be empty. 
and like Christ, she will be risen. The gospel is that Christ died for sins and has been raised. So he brings forgiveness. He brings change. And we will only fall asleep. How do you get this? Who gets it? Paul makes it very clear in verse 1, doesn't he? I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you've taken your stand. By this gospel you're saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. It's those who receive this gospel, who believe this gospel, who take their stand on this gospel. So I ask you tonight, have you received and believed and taken your stand on this gospel? Do you know the facts and believe them? Are you convinced of them? Do you know their significance? Have you experienced his grace that brings forgiveness? No matter what it is, if he can forgive Paul, he can forgive you. Have you experienced the change that God's grace brings? If he can change Paul, he can change you. And do you know this hope? That your death will be merely falling asleep. That one day your grave will be empty and you will be risen. For what it meant for them, it means for us. If you have received, believed and taken your stand on that gospel, can you see how central it is? how good it is, and how you must hold firmly to it. Know it clearly and never stray from it. Never lose your focus upon it. Never give up the facts of it. Never give up the significance of those facts. You must hold firmly. Paul's gospel must be your gospel. And not only that, on this Easter Sunday, we must rejoice. On that first Easter Sunday, when he appeared to his disciples, they were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Their friend, they thought, was dead, was alive. But even more, for them, for Paul, for us, Christ died for sins and has been raised. So we have forgiveness. We have change and we will only fall asleep. What it meant for them, it means for us. The grave is empty. He is risen.